Um, I'm just going to ask Mark a few questions so we can get to know him. Um, Mark, what do you do? Okay. Uh, my role is a state ministry leader for OMF in Queensland. And what that means is it's a, a role of and recruitment, as it were, for missions in East Asia and mentoring, pastoral care for missionaries coming back and helping them to get back out again and so on. If you could have a choice between a spoon, a fork or a knife on a deserted island, what would you choose? Why? Well, you can use it to scoop, you can use it to cut, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. More useful than the other two. Uh, One last question. You're older than most people here. Oh. (laughs) Can't be true. What is it about Jesus that wakes you up in the morning and keeps you going? Mm. It's his grace. The reality, the knowledge of his grace uh, each day. We live by his grace and then his joy, which becomes his strength each day. I'm going to hand it over to Mark oh. and we'll get underway. All right. Thank you, Peter. The surprise questions. Well, it's a joy uh, to be with you this morning. And first time over this side of the town. I do travel around, we've just been chatting here a little bit ago, I do travel around quite a bit, uh, so it is a joy to actually be here and to actually see where Peter and Julie have settled. It's a great encouragement to me. I understand you've been working through a, a series on the Gospel according to Matthew, and today that series comes to a conclusion as we focus on the, uh, the final section uh, of this book. And it's in here, it's here in this last section that we encounter what is called the Great Commission. And you probably have something to that effect as a little heading or a subtitle or is in your Bible, the Great Commission. Now, although this was the final commandment or final command, commission that the Lord Jesus issued to his followers, unfortunately many people uh, would see this as probably the great omission in their lives. And this morning we will hopefully come to realise that Jesus commissioned his disciples, those who are followers of him, uh, was actually, what he did there was nothing new. It was, in fact, it was a restatement of an existing commission for God's people. And we are here this morning. And I pray that uh, each one of us here would come to the point of asking us that question this morning as to what is my response to God's commission for me as a follower of the Lord Jesus. So let me just do pray uh, before we continue. We thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity this morning to freely gather and to spend time looking at your word. And we do pray that as we do that this morning, you will open our hearts and our minds and you will speak to us. Ask this in your name. Amen. Well, in 1989, have I got the right button here? How is that? Push it on to the next one for us. 
that it's a bit, bit slippy. I'll just wait. We've got a, a slow system here. Okay, 18, uh, in 1989, I was uh, visiting a church uh, in a uh, dairy farming area in the Hunter Valley, which is in New South Wales. And at that time, the church that I was visiting was 120 years old. And it was one of those old, white, wooden building churches that stood basically on its own, surrounded by a whole lot of uh, field cattle grazing areas. Right next to the building uh, was a cemetery. And it contained the remains of all of the um, people that pioneered that particular church, all the first members and so on. It had gone on for 120 years. I was there early. Are we working there yet? Is it still, still being a pain? No, it's, it's, um, it's gone to sleep, I think. If you, oh, there we go. It actually worked for a moment. Hello, there, we go. there we go. I was there early. Uh, so I decided I'd just walk around through the cemetery and just read the gravestones, the headstones. And right there in the very middle of this cemetery was a tall headstone and, and this one stood right above all the others and I discovered that this was the gravestone of the original founder of the uh, to that area many years ago. But what impacted me the most as I was reading the headstone was what was written on the top of it. It's right in a minute. And this is what I read on the headstone. Only one earth life, soon it will pass. And at that point, as I stood there and I, as I read this headstone, I uh, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ all the days of my life and to seek to make him known in places where he was not yet known. Let's come to our passage here this morning in Matthew 28, as was read out for us. Matthew 28, verse 16, and the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but then some doubted. Here in Matthew's Gospel, he basically jumps from the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrated last week, Easter, to this event where Jesus gives his followers their final instructions before he returns to heaven. Now it's always helpful when we're reading uh, an event uh, in the Gospels uh, to look at the other Gospels to bring things together, to get a fuller picture and even the letters of the New Testament letters. We begin to pull these together we see from Luke's Gospel after the resurrection that Jesus appeared uh, to two very disciples along the road to Emmaus. And it was during that interaction that he helped these two disciples to understand that the Old Testament scriptures, or their scriptures at the time, all the scriptures were pointing and speaking about his life, death and resurrection all along. And then from John's gospel, as we read, uh, we realise that Jesus appeared to his disciples and he had a very special encounter with one particular person, Thomas, who was still struggling with doubt at that time, and in another time, he enabled Peter and his companions to catch a huge amount of fish and they had a barbecue together on the beach. And then Paul's letter, which is actually 
1 Corinthians 15, which is actually the first recorded event or account of the resurrection. He goes on to tell how Jesus actually appeared to 500 people at the same time. So all of this happens before we get to verse 16 here in Matthew uh, chapter 28. All of those things that occurred already. We come to this final point when the 11 disciples minus Judas uh, saw the Lord Jesus Thomas no longer doubting, part of one of now the worshippers, and their response was all that they could do at that point as they encountered the risen, victorious Lord Jesus Christ, who they'd seen, who they'd talked with, who they'd eaten with now, and after he did. But then Matthew mentions that there were others there who, who doubted, or as it were, as they hesitated. About, is this really true? Could this really be true? Are we seeing a real thing? They weren't really sure that the, what the person that they were seeing there was the one that they also saw crucified and buried. Their minds told them that he was dead and he was buried, but they were saying otherwise as they encountered Lord Jesus. Well, where are you today? Where are you today in that? Are you a worker of the risen? Lord Jesus, I'm not just talking about singing songs. Are you a genuine follower and worshipper of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus? Or are you still hesitating? Or perhaps even doubting a little bit that he really exists and that the fact that he's really keenly interested in being part of your life. Let's move on to verse 18 here. Jesus came to them. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he draws near to his disciples, which indicates he was a little bit of a distance away, and he makes this profound statement that forms the foundation for his, what he's about to say. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to him, the Lord Jesus. We read through the Gospels, if we even look at Matthew's Gospel, we see that Jesus did have already quite a lot of authority. We know that he had authority over sickness to bring healing to all kinds of diseases and defects. He had authority over demons to bring deliverance to those who were demonised or possessed. He had authority over the weather to save his companions from drowning in the violent storm, he had authority over death itself when he rose his friend from the dead. He had authority as a teacher as he spoke with great authority to those who listened. All of this filled with limitations. But now he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. 100%. Even the authority now to judge the living and the dead. You know, for the first century Jews, whom his audience were at that time, they were a conquered people living under the authority and the dominion of the Roman Empire. This was quite a profound statement that he made. He said, actually, all authority now has been given to me, Jesus said. Not only does he have all authority over that which is seen, but also that which is unseen. Nothing is beyond his reach or his Rule. This is how Paul described it here in Ephesians 1.20. He 
when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of his heaven in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked or can be invoked, not only in this present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Since Jesus is the supreme authority, his commands and options to be considered to see whether they fit our lifestyle or not. They have to be obeyed. This morning, if you claim to be a follower or a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means obedience to his commands. It's about being under the lordship, under the authority of Christ. Now, with that understanding, we can now look at what Jesus commanded his followers, his disciples, to do. What we call the Great Commission. Let's just look at verse 19. Then Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We have this very important word here right at the very beginning. The therefore. And it's a very good practice when we read that word in Scripture to ask the question, what is the therefore there for? And of course, it is there because the command that is about to come, that Jesus commands here, is all based on what we've just looked at in verse 18. It's because of his supreme and ultimate authority above all things that he is able to command his followers to go into all the world or to all peoples. You see, the all authority and the all nations are directly linked. No one person or people group or nation is excluded. There are two commands in this uh, verse. Go and make disciples. But I want you to take note that the imperative or the emphasis here is on the command to make disciples. The go is simply bringing to an end a previous command or restriction that Jesus had set to his disciples when he said, do not go to the nations, do not go to the Gentiles, but go only to the Jews. But now the focus has changed. He said, now go to all nations. In fact, a few chapters earlier when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and they asked him, what would be the sign of the end of the age? And in his response, Jesus makes this profound statement about the nations in Matthew 24, verse 14. I'll read it to you. He says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The fact is the focus on all nations is nothing new. You can often look at this great commission and think that it's a new thing, that God just gets interested in the nations at this point. But Jesus is simply restating or re-emphasising what's been there all right through what we would call the Old Testament scriptures. Let me just highlight a few of these scriptures this morning. Genesis 12. And God is speaking to Abraham 
almost 4,000 years ago, he says this, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, including us here this morning, on earth, will be blessed through you. As we keep on going through Psalm 67, now a lot of people, Christians, love this psalm because it talks about God blessing us. As we pray this as the song, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Oh, amen. Great, isn't it? So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that, don't forget that phrase, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. So in a sense, we're a so that people. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. That all the nations will come to hear and experience the good news of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 49, verse 6, the last part says, to God speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah, that he will use his people to be a light for the Gentiles, that his salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God's heart has always, always been for the nations, for the peoples of this world. It doesn't matter what colour what language, what age, what disability, whatever a person may have, God's heart is for the people of this world. Or does your heart resonate with God's? Is your heart in tune, in synergy with God's heart? You're on the same page as him, as we would say. Have you ended up running your life on your own agenda? and not on the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, Verse 19, where Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. He goes on to say, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptising them into the name of our Trinitarian God. Is part of our obedience to Christ as we embark on that journey of discipleship or following Him. It's not an optional extra. We say, "Well, yeah, maybe I, maybe I can run with that one when I feel like it." It's a package deal. When we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a disciple of His. Baptism is part of that. It is a dramatic demonstration or declaration of His lordship and His authority over us in our lives. And we symbolise that as we go into the water, as we die to our own self-rule and we rise to saying, yes, I am being ruled by King Jesus and his agenda. Back to that verse 19. It's important to understand that the word name here is singular. Reminding us that God is one 
in three persons. And behind that name is all who God is. It represents character, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing and present everywhere at the same time. He is the one that we worship and sing about here this morning. The name that is above every name. Well, being a disciple of Jesus doesn't just end in baptism. Hopefully you, you realise that. It's only just the beginning. The danger to think that once we've believed in the Lord Jesus, we've been baptised, that we're done. We can just sit back and we can soak in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday until we die. Well, let's read on the next verse to see what being a disciple is all about. Verse 20. Jesus goes on to say, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything I have commanded you. How do you teach people to obey or to observe the commands of Christ? That's the challenge of discipleship. See, we have this inbuilt desire or bias within us to, to do our own thing, to disobey, to go our own way. We always think we know best comes very natural to not obey than to actually obey the Lord Jesus. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is about obeying him. It's about obedience to Christ. Not just with this command here in Matthew 28 verse 19, or to the ones that we find easy as we flick through the scriptures. Oh yes, I like that one. I can, I can handle that one. But Jesus is saying to obey all or every one of his commands. Everything I have commanded. So Jesus is speaking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle, not a legalistic approach where we're working through a checklist. Yeah, I've got that one, I've got that one, I've got that one. It's a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle of integrity, a lifestyle of purity of character. For example, if we read back through Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7, which you may have briefed on earlier on as you went through this uh, series, we read that Christ commands us to rejoice persecuted. Christ commands us to let our light shine for all to see. He commands us to be reconciled with those who have a grievance against us. He commands us not to entertain lustful thoughts. He commands us not to get divorced. He commands us not to, have, to make false promises, not to take revenge to be generous to those in need, to love our enemies, to pray, to forgive others, not to store up treasures on earth. He commands us not to worry and he commands us not to judge, to judge others. And on it goes. Jesus is saying, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's a way of life that is really counter-cultural to the way our society is going or the way this, our society tells us. You see, being a disciple of Jesus impacts every aspect of our life. It's not just a Sunday thing. Every aspect of our life. We are commanded to make disciples of Jesus, not converts. Not just people getting saved or changing religion. It's about being making disciples. People who are embarking on this lifelong journey of following the Lord Jesus being Christ. Through the second half of that verse there in, chapter, in verse 20, and Jesus said this, he said, and surely, 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's probably one of the most reassuring promises in the Bible. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth, the one with all authority over the nations promises to be with us all the time. We're not left to our own devices. Jesus doesn't just com- not only just command us, command us to obey him, but then he enables us to fulfil those commands. I want you to notice that, he, that Jesus didn't say, I will be. He said, I am with you. I am with you. Matthew opened this gospel speaking about Emmanuel in chapter 1, verse 23, which means God with us. And now he closes the same book with the assurance of that same Emmanuel in chapter 1, the one that we came to know, that they came to know as Jesus the Christ, will continue to be with us. That assurance should melt away any apprehension that you might have about stepping out and being obedient to Christ. The one with all authority is with you. With you. Final note on these verses this morning. There's one word that is just used repeatedly throughout these verses that we've read here. And that is, in the original Greek text, that is the word all. And when Jesus said, all authority is given to me. All Then he says, all things I have commanded. And he says, all the time. I will be with you all the time. God with us, always, right to the very end. So how will you respond to the command of Jesus to go and to make disciples of all people? You know, we face a task un- luxury to, to sit back and think, well, the job's done. Enough people out there doing it. We don't really have the right to set aside the commands of God's mission in order to pursue our own ambition. For an example here, look at this. In Asia alone, only one in ten people knows, knows a Christian, let alone having the opportunity to hear about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. the age of 19, I stepped out of darkness and into the light of the Lord Jesus. And as a new follower of Jesus, I was given a cassette tape. And many might think, what the heck is that? Uh, you know, what we used to listen to music. Uh, and it was a, by a Christian musician named Keith Green. And his music greatly impacted and shaped my worldview as a new follower of the Lord Jesus. And his passion uh, for making Jesus known to, to the people in the world was very, very challenging to me. And so I'd like to conclude this morning by reading to you the lyrics of one of his songs. And I'll allow these words to, to speak to you this morning as I read to you. The song is called Asleep in the Light uh, by Keith Green. 
Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. That's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds a tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Or can't you see that that's such a sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away and you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. And all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door and you've left him out on the streets. Open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see that such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark, but the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Jesus rose from the grave. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and you pretend the job's done. You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Don't close your eyes. Don't pretend the job's done. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That you have promised and that we know that you are with us. As we read this command here this morning, pray that you will burn this into our hearts and our minds. You'll stir within us a passion and a heart that resonates with your heart to make you known to the nations. Use us here this morning, each one, as your instrument of grace, as your mouthpiece for those who are yet to hear. We pray this in the mighty, powerful and authoritative name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.